Paul said, now upon us whom the ends of the ages have come. It's been nearly 2,000 years since Paul penned these words. But he lived just as we are to live in expectation of the Lord's soon return. That the Lord is coming again just as he came the first time. The Bible tells us that he is coming a second time. For one, to redeem his church, to bring his church to be with him where he is there in heaven. And number two, to bring judgment upon this earth. We need to have that faith to continue in our walk and relationship with Christ. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today I said that we were going to look at a message called That Rock Was Christ from 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 13. I divided it into three sections. Be not unaware, verses 1 through 5. Examples of unbelief, verses 6 through 10, and God is faithful, verses 11 through 13. Father, I pray that you would be with us now, Lord, as we look into your word this morning. And Lord, just leading this fellowship at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa into a study in 1 Corinthians here in 2020. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to glean from this epistle things that we can apply to our lives. And I pray, Lord, today that you would do just that, that, Lord, you would, uh, in our lives as a church or as individuals, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts corporately or individually, that we might hear from you this day what the Spirit is saying to the church, to this church, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we continue in verses 6 through 10, I'll read for the context, examples of unbeliefs. He continues with more examples. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor murmur, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verses 6 through 10. The examples of unbelief. He gives us five situations here, and he ties 
uh, enough information for us to go back to the Old Testament to discover exactly what Paul was speaking about in each of these situations. They became our examples. These things were to become our examples that we might not lust after evil things as the first generation did that came out of Egypt. The example is actually the mark of a blow. It speaks about an impression that is made. Uh, we would think of a stamp that has been made by a die. And it really speaks about Paul giving examples of not the things that we should do, but the things here that we should not do. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Uh, this takes us back to Numbers chapter 11, the children of Israel complaining against Moses and the Lord once again. And although God faithfully had provided for their daily needs, they craved the food of Egypt. The Egyptians had caused them to cry out to the Lord for deliverance, and he delivered them, but they're not yet coming to the promised land. They were weary from their journey. It was their own fault because they refused to enter in the promised land when God brought them to the borders there at Kadesh Barnea. And yet we learn from chapter 11 that there were several examples. It's dangerous to heed the cravings of the mixed multitudes or the unbelievers. When Israel went out of Egypt, it tells us that a mixed multitude went out with them, meaning that there were the Jews, but also non-Jewish people that escaped with them. And so it's dangerous for us to heed the cravings of the mixed multitudes. We have been redeemed from the world and we should no longer desire or lust after the things of the world. Second, when we feel alone or overwhelmed, we must remember just as God provided for our daily needs in times past, so too will he provide for the needs that we have in the present the children of Israel daily, every day that they went out to collect the manna. It was a testimony of God's provision in their life. And I believe that every day we awake on this earth, it's a testimony of God's grace over our lives as well. Moses cried in Numbers eleven twenty nine, Oh, that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. He made this cry to Joshua when Joshua had complained to Moses about the children of Israel and Moses said to Joshua, Oh, I wish the Spirit of God was upon every one of them. You know what? Through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ today, that has become a reality. And God's Spirit has been given. Remember, Jesus is the one who said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me, and I will give him drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The second example, do not become idolaters as some of them. It takes us to Exodus 32. While Moses was spending 40 glorious days and nights with God, the children of Israel fell into this inglorious rebellion against God. Uh, the children of Israel cried out to Aaron in Exodus 32, 1, Come, make us gods that he should go before us, for as... For this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron took the gold earrings from their wives, sons, and daughters, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made a molding calf. And then he said, 
This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 32, 4. He built an altar. He proclaimed a feast. And on early on the next day, they offered burnt and peace offerings upon that altar to their fashioned God. And then the Bible tells us in verse 6, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Thankfully, Moses had interceded in Israel's behalf even before he descended down the mountain with the testimony of God in his hands. Still, when he saw that the people were unrestrained, it's a Hebrew word that means to let loose or to run wild, he took the two uh, tablets of the Ten Commandments and he broke that, those stone tablets. He ground them into powder. He mixed it with water. He forced the children of Israel to drink it. And then he called for those who were on the Lord's side to take up their swords and to kill the rebels. And on that day, the Levites answered the call of Moses and about 3,000 fell in that one day. For his third example, he brings us to Numbers 25. He said, nor let us commit sexual immorality. This example coming from Numbers 25 was where Balaam plotted against Israel. Basically, greedy Balaam wanted the wealth that King Balak had offered him if he would just curse Israel. But God would not allow Balaam to curse Israel. And so Balaam told Balak, I am not allowed to curse Israel, but I can tell you a method or a way in which God will bring judgment against his own people. In Numbers 25, verses 1 through 3, it tells us, Now Israel remained at the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit holotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to sacrifice to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined with Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. In this very dark chapter, Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, killed Zimri and Cuzbib, who blazingly flaunted their sin before the children of Israel. Phineas, a man who was very zealous for God on that day, because of his righteous jealousy for God, God rewarded him with a covenant of peace as seen through God's promise of an everlasting priesthood for Phineas and his descendants. Phineas and his descendants then uh, would, as each generation would pass, from that lineage would come the high priest of Israel. Well, it brings us to verses 9 and 10, our fourth and fifth complaints that Paul brings as examples to us. So our next example, it says, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. The destruction of the serpents brings us to Numbers 21, where in Numbers 21, 6, it tells us, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and the people of Israel died. Now, in Numbers 21, the children of Israel, take a guess what they were doing once again. Uh, you got it. They were complaining against God. They were complaining against Moses. They were singing the same old blues about their lack of food and water. Now, God every day would give them manna, but, you know, 40 years of eating the same thing could get a little tiring. 
God responded with their blues by sending these poisonous snakes into their camp. As the people were dying, they realized their sin. They asked Moses to pray to the Lord in their behalf to take away the serpents. Yet God did not immediately take away the serpents. Instead, he gave them this strange remedy of a serpent on a pole. He had Moses make a brass serpent on a pole, and he told him to put it in the middle of the camp. And those who were bitten, all they needed to do was to look at the bronze serpent on the pole, and they would be healed. And those who looked in faith found healing, while others who refused to look found death. This story here becomes a wonderful picture of salvation through Jesus Christ. Because mankind was bitten by a serpent named sin. When Satan came in the garden, remember he came as a serpent. He came to the Garden of Eden. He tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this resulted in both physical and spiritual death. But instead of taking away the serpent, God provided a remedy through Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. Those who look to Jesus uh, in faith will be healed, will be given eternal life. But those who are foolish to look away from Jesus will ultimately find death and eternal punishment in hell and the lake of fire. In John 3, 14 and 15, Jesus actually connects the serpent in the wilderness to his work upon the cross where he says as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and you know verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life well we find our final complaint that some complain bringing us to number 16 and the backstory as some of them complained they were destroyed by the destroyer so in number 16 we find the rebellion of Korah Korah was of the tribe of Levi and there was also two others Dathan and Abram they were of the tribe of Reuben uh, Jacob's firstborn son these three men claimed that the Lord was among them just as he was with Moses and Aaron. Basically, they, they were saying, hey, Moses and Aaron, they are taking on too much responsibility. We also should share in this responsibility because the Lord has called us as well. So Moses simply responded saying, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy. Number 16.5. If you remember this account... Uh, Aaron had everyone to take their rods and to lay them before the Lord. And it was Aaron's rod that budded to show that God was in favor of him. And although they believed that they had belonged to God, God had not received them. On the next day, they failed the test. Their rods did not bud as Aaron's did. And the earth opened up and swallowed Korah, Dathan, and Abraham among with their families and the men and all their earthly possessions. And afterwards, fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men who had sided with Korah. On the next day, the children of Israel gathered against Moses and Aaron, and God sent the destroyer, the killing plague of what Paul is referring to here. 
And while the destroyer came among the children of Israel, Moses told Aaron to take his censer, that which has been accepted by God, to put fire from the altar and incense into it, to stand between the plague and the people. And with Aaron as a mediator between God and the people, the plague stopped, and the people were saved. But still, 14,700 people had died. You know, I've often thought of these accounts, like Aaron standing between the destroyer and the people to stop this plague that was among their people, or David, uh, when the destroyer was coming against Jerusalem and he stood and offered sacrifices there with the destroyer uh, pointed a sword towards Jerusalem and God received David's offering and the plague stopped. Well, of these latter days, I've been praying, Lord, that we need a mediator such as Moses, such as Aaron, such as David. But we have a mediator, don't we? His name is Jesus. We are living at a time when a plague is destroying. Over 50,000 have been accredited as dying here in the United States from the coronavirus, over 200,000 in the world. And whether the numbers are skewed one way or the other, I can't be sure on these things. But I do know that we have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Paul has given us five examples from Israel's past actually saying, don't follow their destructive path. These are examples of not what to do, but what not to do. And finally, verses 11 through 13, I'll read for context. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Don't you love that passage where it tells us that God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. All these things happen to them as examples and were written for our admonition. They happened as examples. This Greek word is only found here in the New Testament. And it is a sense of a warning or by way of example. Again, uh, it is a, a style of prophecy that we are given the word of God has been given to us as an example, sometimes for things that we should do and sometimes, as we see what Paul has been writing to us, things we should not do. Also for our admonition, and again, a Greek word here that uh, speaks about a word of encouragement or reproof that leads to corrective behavior. So it is our admonition that we should not follow their ways, but should correct our behavior. And remember, the letter to Corinth here, 1 Corinthians, is a letter of correction. Paul was trying to help them to better walk in their relationship with Christ. And he recorded five examples from Israel's wilderness wanderings when they came against God's chosen leaders and disobeyed the law of God, which resulted in judgment against them and ultimately their death. 
Paul said, now upon us whom the ends of the ages have come. It's been nearly 2,000 years since Paul penned these words. But he lived just as we are to live in expectation of the Lord's soon return. That the Lord is coming again just as he came the first time. The Bible tells us that he is coming a second time. For one, to redeem his church, to bring his church to be with him where he is there in heaven. And number two, to bring judgment upon this earth. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 tells us, For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord also comes as a thief in the night. Sadly, the generation that came out of Egypt did not have the faith to enter the promised land. We need to have that faith to continue in our walk and relationship with Christ. And then he tells us, verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. When judging others, we need to remember that we all have issues in our lives. Uh, this reminded me of Matthew 7, verses 4 through 4 and 3 is what I'm going to read to you, but it, it's verses 1 through 4, where the Lord speaks about having a plank in our own eye when we're trying to get a speck out of our brother's eye. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 3 and 4, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Uh, this would talk about like a four by four in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. And his resolve in verse five, first remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Uh, this is obviously an over-exaggeration. Referring to a plank in our eye when there is a, a speck of dust in our brother's eye. But it reminds us that let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. When coming to judging others, I've often just fell back to this verse personally. And I've used it for others as well. To remind them what the word of God says. When bringing judgment against others, we need to take heed lest we fall. We're not perfect. And we need to remember this. And so a great verse to remember, as is the next verse, the last verse of our text today, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape so that you will be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 13 is a favorite memory verse within the church, and for good reason. First, it tells us that no temptation is unique to us. As others have experienced various trials and temptations since the fall of mankind, no temptation is new or unique. It's happened to others before us. It's happening to us maybe even now. Second, our faithful God does not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to handle. And I, I know that sometimes it feels like he's taken us to the brink of what we can handle. But it, the word promises that he does not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to handle. Because third, he has made a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. He has made a way of escape. Sadly, I fear that Far too often, 
people refuse to take God's escape plan. And that's why they fall into the temptation. 2 Timothy 4.18 tells us, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you realize that Paul wrote these words? And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That he wrote these words just prior to his being beheaded as a follower of Jesus Christ there in Rome. And yet, knowing that he was facing this judgment from Rome, Paul confidently said, And the Lord will deliver me and preserve me. Sometimes we go through trials in this life. Sometimes the trials are of our own doing. Sometimes they are not. And yet, Jesus is faithful to deliver those who follow him. Sadly, as I said before, many are unwilling to take God's way of escape and they fail to walk in the ways of God. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847 847- Two six five zero six four six. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.